The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Let's go right to our guest line, bring our guest for the evening in. It's uh, Jerry Wills. Jerry, uh, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Thank you. It's a real privilege to be here. Well, it's a pleasure having you, Jerry. Um, you do a lot of things, so I'm going to give you the job of telling our audience exactly what you do and how long you've been doing it. <laughs> You're right. I do a lot of things. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, you know, let's start off with the adventure aspect of it. Uh, for the past couple of decades, my wife and I have been researching lost cities, ancient places, strange mysteries all over the world, and particularly spending a lot of time in South America. So uh, we've used uh, the technology at hand that we're both well-trained in and made documentary videos. And those we brought back, uh, edited, put together, they're up online. We give them away for free. It's expeditions.tv, and folks can join in the adventure there. That's one of the things we do. Uh, the other thing is I travel all over the world as a healer. I have a unique ability that allows me to see inside of a person's body. And when I find issues there, I go to work on them and try to help them to recover from whatever is causing their problem. It isn't always a healing aspect. Sometimes it's informational, and because of that, I'm um, also called a medical intuitive. It's a psychic ability. Okay. You know. And uh, the third thing we do, well, we're musicians. Oh. And uh, we have songs on the radio all over the world, and uh, we're just moving forward with that. Very cool. All right, so let's take... Jeff Bird. Yeah, go ahead. And it's the Jeff Bird Project. That's the name of the of the band? Yeah, like Alan Parsons Project. Yep. Alan Parsons is a friend of ours, and Jeff um, is the person kind of at the top of the pyramid. He does the magic that makes the music sound as good as it sounds, so Jeff sure. Bird Project. Well, that's great. Let's start with the first um, thing you talked about, which is the adventure side, I think is how you put it, uh, search for lost cities. Now, um, I didn't even realize that that was part of, of your list of things that you do, um, but it's it's pretty exciting to be able to talk about it. What uh, what got you into that? Well, you know, it's, it's a long story in, in one respect, but I'll give you the short version. Basically, from a very early age, I was interested in this sort of thing. I grew up in the hills of Kentucky, and... There were Indian mounds and places around, you know, pre-Civil War things, Indian places. I started reading books. Well, you know, everyone's heard of Eric von Donica, of course. Of course, yeah. There are other other authors out there, too. And I would just read these. I was tremendously fascinated by the stories that I read. And I wanted to know more, but it seemed the conventional history wasn't telling me anything. We were hearing stories that um, just didn't incorporate any of the stuff that I was interested in, world history. It was like they took the high points of the people who had the power and created an entire melodrama around these folks and it seemed that there was a lot more to history than what I was being taught. 
so I wanted to know more, and I kept searching. I eventually got old enough to go out on my own, and in doing so, ended up in Peru. Uh, I was a guest speaker on a tour. And, well, one thing led to another. I started my own tour company, and so for, I don't know, maybe 20 years, was leading people on trips down to Peru. And, of course, doing that, you can afford to stay a little longer. You don't have to leave. And sure. Made a lot of friends in a lot of places. You know, out in the outback of Peru, it's a lot different than most people realize. It's really very primitive. So meeting these folks and becoming friends with them, uh, it opened doors. And some of these doors led to very strange and exciting places that the world at large had really never seen. So I went and checked them out. So, um, and just, but real quick, Jerry, now, especially going to these places, do you uh, consider yourself a, a sensitive, uh, an intuitive, uh, so, something of that nature? Because I, if so, going to these places must be pretty intense for you. Well, it was very intense because I was I was experiencing things that had no, um, there weren't any records. Excuse me. There weren't any records to tell me what I was what I was feeling about these places, the things that I would see. You know, my my experience growing up as a child, just to flash back for a moment, is I would know things before they were going to happen. I could hear people thinking, um, see energy around objects and people. I could hold something and know what the story was about it. So I was a weird kid. <laughs> yeah. Going to Peru with this kind of thing going on was pretty trippy. And of course, this healing thing that I am I'm able to do, that opened a lot of doors because there are no doctors out there. They have medicine, they have shaman, and they're using similar techniques as my own. So I was able to learn from them, and they picked up a few things from me, I hope. But it opened a lot of doors. And these folks, when they felt that they not only could trust me, but would take me into their family. They're very open and gracious, and for the most part, anyway. And they would tell us, to tell me things, tell us things, tell you know, Kathy things. So we would talk to her, and there would be these exchanges of stories and myth. And it's like, well, where is this place? Oh, it's just right up here, you know, a day's walk. Well, I'd like to see it. Okay. Well, we can do that tomorrow. Well, and that's how these things evolved. We didn't take video cameras with us at first because, well, they were pretty expensive and pretty bulky, and um, it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe 2001 or so we started taking cameras with us and recording it just so we could bring it back and show folks during a lecture or just having friends over to show them things. But I had always made videos for my passengers, put together a, 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 like an hour-long video of their trip and just gave it to them as a gift. So I had all kinds of editing experience. Okay. I decided to start editing these things together and turning it into a, a short documentary of our adventure. That's how Expeditions TV was born. But we saw a lot of strange things that uh, are, are just mind-blowing. 
They really are. So when you say lost cities, um, did you have some specific cities of legend or something that you were seeking, or was it more of a you were exploring and you would stumble upon lost cities? It was more more of the uh, the latter. You see, for example, we go into this place that's been held by terrorists and occupied by narco-traffickers, Sintakachi. We go up this valley because there are some huge boulders there with these petroglyphs on them. And Kathy, having seen a picture of it, said, I think I can read this. We have to go there and see it. Well, we did. It was, it was a very <laughs> real dangerous place to go to the north central part of Peru. Anyhow, we get there, and it, it's a map going up this valley. Well, we don't know how far, and we talk to the people there in this village, and they're going, oh, well, you know, it's about three days' walk that way. And, yeah, there's a, there's a place. They started telling us all about this thing. They were really surprised that Kathy could read the map. They couldn't, but they knew their area quite well. We ended up going about 85 miles following this river and eventually getting into the highlands. And the highlands of Peru are like 10 to 12,000 feet. The really, really high parts are, you know, 18 to 20-some-thousand feet. Well, right there at that line where the trees have pretty much stopped growing and it's perpetually in fog. It's called the eyebrow of the jungle. This is where we eventually ended up. And that's where we found the first. We call them the lost city because it's real cliche. But it's just an ancient uh, an ancient city that, you know, is forgotten to the rest of the world. And from there, Kathy identified five more. And the remarkable thing about it was that these, these places... We were surprised that there was so much gold in the rock. It was really astonishing. And the hundreds of burial sites, completely untouched. Really? Uh, There was a a paved road that the ancients had made that would apparently go from one city to the next, you know, through the mountains. And nobody had known Um, that these were there, huh? No. No, no, and they, they couldn't even see it from satellite pictures because it's always obscured by cloud. This is called the eyebrow of the jungle. And it's on the rare occasion that maybe there aren't any clouds in a certain area, but they're always moving. So have um, those have those can't see it. have those sites been visited by uh, archaeological teams or or any other groups since you've stumbled upon them? No, they haven't, um, and we we think that's just ridiculous. But we went back to the Ministry of Culture in Peru and took the GPS coordinates and told them what we had found. And we basically uh, were told, okay, well, you're going to need about $100,000 because you're going to need to buy these permits to go excavate this place and document it, and then you're going to have to hire archaeologists, you're going to have to hire porters and all right. Hey, Jerry, hold on to that thought. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll finish the discussion. It's Jerry Wills. Hey, gang, it's JV here. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Beyond Reality Radio. Some of you are new to the program. 
and some of you have been with us for years. And no matter if you're interested in ghosts, the UFO phenomenon, conspiracy discussions, or any of the other topics we explore on this program, we do it for you. Our goal here is to help find answers to some of the world's most enduring mysteries. And as we continue to bring you interviews and discussions each night, it's important that we get your feedback and even more importantly, your support. The media landscape is forever changing, and as it does, we need to be able to change with it. That's why it's important for you, right now, to go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. Once on YouTube, just search for J.V. Johnson. You'll find it there. Subscribe. It's all free, and it'll make you part of our global community. In addition, Beyond Reality Radio is available as a podcast. Go to your favorite podcast platform and search for Beyond Reality Radio and subscribe there as well. And finally, we have an archive program that you may enjoy as well. This show can be found on major podcast platforms, and it's called Beyond Reality Paranormal. By supporting us in one or all of those places, you can be sure we'll be able to continue to deliver quality shows to you, no matter what form the media landscape takes. As a paranormal historian, I promise you the best and most entertaining conversations as we continue to hunt for the truth. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we continue our discussion with Jerry Wills, we've been talking about Jerry's adventures in South America, um, stumbling upon some long-forgotten cities. And Jerry, you said there was gold in these cities. What was the was it you know in the in the embedded in the rock itself, or was this gold that was laid in the rock by the former inhabitants of the city? Yeah, good question. No, it was it was uh, homogenous with the rock. So it was actually it was actually we felt yeah actually rock that had had fragments of gold in it from its formation yeah and it was real surprising I'd never seen anything like it we we found out years later that the second largest gold mine in the world is there in northern Peru and it actually wasn't that far away from where these places are you know far away being relative let's say within a hundred miles but a hundred miles in that terrain is weeks of travel <laughs> it's right. a long long way right. right so let's get into the bit of the, uh, the your sensitivities um i mean you you described a lot of particularly um astounding abilities and sensitivities how did that come into play when you were in a city that uh, had been forgotten for ages um of a civilization that was essentially forgotten for ages um, but still was so rich with relics from that civilization well, you know, the thing is, is that you don't have a point of reference for any of this. The things that I would psychically pick up about this, and I've done this so much that I'm, I'm pretty confident with what I received, but it didn't make a lot of sense. The people who lived here, we found out they were called the Chechapoya, and no one knows who the Chechapoya really were, but what we were finding finding in these places were these ancient relics and so forth that I could go along and I could touch and I could I could sense into the place and into the entire atmosphere of the city. And I was seeing what looked to me like uh, like white people, I mean like Caucasians mm-hmm. that were like 
you know, a thousand, thousands of years ago. But they were just like us, except, you know, they were they were just in this ancient time. Now, when they you were s- from a different place. When you said that you found out they were, in our, and forgive me, what was the name of the people? Chechapoyas. Uh, Chechapoyas. When you found out, did you sense that, or did somebody, did somebody locally tell you that's what, what they were? No, I didn't sense it. I just saw them as, as like, Caucasians. No, but I mean, did that name, was that name told to you by the locals, saying that these were the people that lived there, or was this something that you picked up from your sensitivities? Well, I got some of it from the locals, but most of it from a professor at the uh, university in Lima, an archaeological and as a as, know who they were. as a as a student, if you will, of Eric von Daniken, do you feel as though those folks could have had some kind of uh, extraterrestrial connection? I don't think so. Uh, my my feeling is both from what I sensed then, and then I could piece it all together much later over the years. These people were actually part of a group of people who came across from the Middle East. Uh, you remember the stories about the Phoenicians and how they yep. would, they were great traders and they traveled the seas. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot yeah, of stories about yeah. these guys. They eventually fell into decline and the Romans took them over. Well, there's a reason why that happened. It had nothing to do with their, their prowess or ability to defend, to defend themselves. They basically went broke because a volcano erupted and it obscured the night sky, and that's what these folks used to navigate. They sailed at night. Well, the Chichapoyas had come across, well, no, they weren't the Chichapoyas, the Phoenix, <coughs> Phoenicians, had come across and developed a trade route with uh, Central and South America. Uh, they were looking for aspondagus shells, you remember that purple dye they used in Egypt that was so highly regarded? Yep. Well, this, this is what they used, was these powdered <clears throat> the dye removed from the aspondagus shells, the purple dye. There are mountains of these shells in Ecuador and northern Peru. They actually had set up uh, very large city factories for this and for other reasons, you know, they, they, were, they were great traders and they would pick up all kinds of things and take it back with them to trade with. So the people, we eventually came to understand that these people who built these cities were people who had been brought over there for these purposes. But when the night sky became obscured because of the volcanic eruption, the Phoenicians weren't able to sail and it stayed that way for many, many years. And as a result, these people were stranded, so they moved away from the coastlines and went up into the mountains to fortify uh, strongholds for them to live. And that's where they ended up. They were tall people with blonde and red hair, with green and blue eyes, and they were ferocious warriors. They had to become ferocious warriors, I suppose, because of the environment and the, the people that lived around in those areas they were pretty ferocious too and that's how all that that's how all that evolved but there were others who were coming down there as well and these were folks from asia and they left their mark on these areas as well so you know the from those very early times of going and seeing these places 
up to the point in time we really understood what's going on. It was an unfolding story. But regarding the extraterrestrials, one of the things that you can hear when you're down there from from the people who live in the outback, they all say that they're from the stars. But they all say that the Pleiades is a place where their friends come from. Well, I thought that that was an interesting myth until one afternoon I met a fellow who said he was from the Pleiades. And this is the time when Barbara Marciniak's book, Bringers of the Dawn, had just been released that summer. I was down there in the fall. And there's this fellow who climbed on top of the bus as I was riding up to Machu Picchu. Seems to know my name, which I thought was kind of strange. I'd never met this guy in my life. He was very peculiar. Something was very strange about him, although he looked like a skinny, backpacking hippie type. And you find those down in Peru a lot. Well, as it turns out, he was pretty confident in telling me where he was from and his story. And within a few days, and then over the course of the next several years, I became good friends with him and the other travelers that he was uh, he was there with. I don't know if they're from the Pleiades, but you know when someone walks out of a flying saucer and tells you they're from somewhere, you really don't have much option but just to believe them. Right. And that's the that was the case with him and with these others. Um, hey Jerry, uh, one thing I do want to get into though yeah. that we really haven't touched on is the uh, the ability that you you have to uh, pretty much see energy that's attached through all things um, to be able to also uh, feel it and and so forth. Can you give us a little information on when you started having uh, well when you realized you had this ability that so many others don't and and how you were able to uh, to learn to use it? Sure, no problem. You know, when I was growing up, it was in central Kentucky. And I was a weird kid. There were things I was able to do that no one else could do, but I didn't know that. Not when I'm, you know, eight, nine years old, ten years old. And I thought, you know, this just, I, I didn't talk about it much. But when I did, I was kind of ignored and chastised. You don't talk about those things. And... Finally, I got to the point where I couldn't talk about it at all, but I was having these experiences for as long as I can remember. Being a a three-, four-year-old kid, I could hear people thinking, and it was a little weird. I could touch a picture and know all the stories. You know, people have their pictures up on, you know, nightstands or in the living room, and I could just see the entire everything about them, know all about the people and where it was taken and all that. Well, it was one of those deals. I really didn't know much about the healing. Uh, We had animals on the farm, and I found the animals to be a lot more fun to be around than the people. And so I basically just hung out with a lot of the animals in my spare time, went to the woods with the dogs, saw the squirrels and so forth, and occasionally one of the dogs would get hurt, and I would take a look and see what I could do to help it. I could feel things, see things, and I tried fixing it. And it worked pretty well. There was one instance that really stands out in my mind where I think it was a real shocker for me. And, you know, I can't say for a fact, 
that this mouse was was actually still alive or dead, but it, it sure looked dead. It was in a mouse trap. It was about five in the morning, and I was out there too, you know, in the cold. You have to fill up the scoop with a bunch of oats and corn and whatnot, take it to the cows. Well, here's a, a mouse in a mouse trap. So I felt really bad for it. And I leaned over, picked it up, took it out of the mouse trap, put it in my hand, and it was just still and cold. Well, I cut my hands around it. I thought, well, if I just blow on it, warm it up, maybe it'd be all right. So I did. I did that for a couple minutes and focused on it, you know, to help it to heal and be all right. I was only, gosh, 12 or 13 at the time. Well, within a short time, within that two or three minutes, it started moving in my hands. And when I, I opened my hands, just sat there very calmly looking up at me, with a little bit of blood on its nose. And it was alive. Wow. Now, how old were you when that happened? I don't know. I was probably 12 or 13. Now, did you was, recognize uh, what had happened at the time? I mean, at, a, at 12 or 13 years old, you may not have been able to process the... the um, what it just transpired. Yeah, you know, it really didn't occur to me. I just thought, oh, well, the mouse is fine. So I gave it a good talking to. I always talk to the animal mm-hmm. and told it, you know, I'll get rid of the mouse traps and I'll put some grain down this crack over here. Because when I held the mouse, I saw it had babies, you know, in, in my mind. Mm-hmm. So, so I'll just drop some oats and corn over here, pee every once in a while. And, you know, that way you don't have to worry about it. And I got rid of all the mouse traps. And never had any other problems. Uh, sometimes the mice would fall into the barrel, it's a fifty-gallon drum with the top cut out, and you know then they'd just be in there and they'd have big trouble for the mouse. So, you know, I gave them a good talking to. Never had any more trouble with them at all in that respect. And it didn't. It didn't occur to me that this this was dead and now it's alive. In mm-hmm. looking back, I can't. I can't say with absolute certainty if that's the case, but I can't really explain why it would feel so absolutely cold in my hands, and just, you know, like a, a stone. Well, this then became something I started doing with the other animals. A cow with a hurt leg or, you know, there would be the dog that got hurt, like I said. One afternoon, there was this fellow... And our farms, you know, the farms were like a mile apart. And this guy had driven this little Ford tractor over and parked it there on the side, uh, beside our house where we lived on the farm. It had been raining. It was muddy. He stepped off, and when he did, he slipped and fell down. And he had apparently, I would say now, he tore the meniscus on his knee because he was hurt really bad. And he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's an older fellow. Well, I mean, I was young. <laughs> Everybody was old. <laughs> but he was going to have to walk, you know, like a mile across the, the fields to get back home. He's rubbing his knee and had tears kind of in his eyes. He's strong, but it must have hurt bad. So I said, well, let me see. Let me see it. And I put my hands on there, and my hands just got hot. And I could see what it was, and so I just imagined the pieces going back together again, and... Then my hands cooled off. I let go of it. He looked at me like he'd seen a ghost. Well, you know what that's like if you see a ghost, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. 
so he didn't say a damn thing. He got up and walked away without any limping or anything. And then it got around the community. Something is really strange with that kid over there. And these people back then are very superstitious. If you're not in the Baptist church, then I don't know what you are. And I was ostracized in the community and whispered about, and I was pretty creepy. And then the only people that wanted to talk to me was really my uncle, who wanted to know who was going to win the Kentucky Derby or a particular <laughs> horse race that he wanted to bet on. Right. Well, but Jerry, you would, you would gave me the answers. Jerry, you would think that in a community, uh, such a religious community, that it would be looked upon in a, a better light. That more like more would, spiritual, it, you yeah, mean? almost like as as a blessing or or some sort of yeah, having having that ability. It, why would it be looked at in a negative light or you know, sort of shunned? Why do you think? Why do you think that would happen? I don't know. I really don't. You know, I. I can't explain it. They they are very superstitious, and you know we're we're dealing with people who have ancestors that were medicine women who had black hair with a white streak in their head and stuff like this. That they were kind of spooky people. Gosh, I mean these guys would go out hunting for possums at night and thinking the devil was chasing them around and shoot a possum, and they shine the light up there and you still see the eyes looking at them. Well, the head of it got caught in a fork tree, but the they had stories about the flat. They would just be following you around in the woods at night. You know, the devil's going to come and take your soul, all this stuff. So this was pretty creepy stuff to them. Okay. And, you know, being a, a early teenager and having this kind of uh, thing being said about you, you basically decided to keep very quiet and just get very reserved. And I, I didn't talk about it very much past that point. You know, people would get sick, and I'd think to myself, well, I could probably help them. But I didn't dare even try. It probably wasn't until my aunt died that I even mentioned it again. And when she died, the, she died in an afternoon. Got the call, and that night, uh, everybody went to bed early because... Uh, my mom and her sister, and they were all going to go out to Denver, Colorado, where uh, they live. Well, she came to me, and she gave me a message to give to somebody to deliver to her husband of some important details that she wanted to relate. No one wanted to hear it, except for my crazy uncle. He wanted to hear it, and he was going out there, too. Well, as it turns out, everything that she had told me to tell, he related that, and it was completely 100% dead on and kind of freaked everybody out. But I kept quiet about things after that. And, you know, the other thing that was going on in the hills at that time was there was a lot of UFO activity. A lot of people were seeing things, lights moving through the trees and crafts floating above the tree line. Uh, there were some animal mutilations going on, and people were just pretty scared. And I guess, you know, all things totaled up. Anything that wasn't understandable or out of the normal became something to be avoided and whispered about uh, because it was scary. And there was a haunted house down there. You guys would have loved this place. 
it was the scariest damn place I've ever been in my life. And you could hear voices in there. You didn't even have to be psychic. You could, things would happen in there. It was just, just scary as hell. And everybody avoided this place like the plague. No one wanted to go there. I went there at midnight just to see if they could scare me, and they did. But, you know, things back in that region during that time, now they wanted things to be pretty much within a certain dynamic and anything outside of that, they didn't want any part of it. Right. <laughs> and I was certainly outside that dynamic. I asked the question, where you felt that your source of this ability, this energy, this uh, skill comes from? We've all heard of, you know, religious-type healers, um, but I don't think that's sure. what you're talking about here. No, and I'm not a religious person. Well, I think that the source of this healing comes from whatever God is. I don't, I don't know what God is. You know, a lot of a lot of people have little, you know, ideas of their own, but I don't have a clue. But whatever whatever God is, is, is this energy. And this energy, whenever I'm around someone who needs my help, it starts running through me. If I acknowledge it and allow it to continue, it builds up. And it starts feeling as though, uh, as though I'm getting hot, just physically heated up inside with a tingling like a buzzing or electric uh, feeling moving through me. Then, uh, if I want to work on someone, it's like, okay, here we go. I take a deep breath, and as soon as I do that, my hands just become quite warm. I've learned to control that over the years so it doesn't burn a person. And then uh, I put my hands on them. I close my eyes, I look inside, and then I see what there is to see. And when I find what the problem is, then I start focusing the streams of energy in that direction. And not necessarily to just heal it, but to actually bring it back to the fullness as it was originally created. And it's worked pretty well. Uh, For about 11 years, Fox TV would do a couple of specials on me every year and uh, books about me and you know all this other stuff a lot of alder all you know it's it's all very ingratiating but you know that's a short answer I guess well so Jerry then real quick you feel that it's it's an ability that was given to you by a a higher power and not more of like a human uh, evolution trait where uh, you know people are evolving into this ability that's a very good point. And you know something? I think that that's what, that's what this is meant to illustrate. Because I, when I teach classes, and I, I do teach periodically, not that often, but once in a while, and when I teach classes, I try to bring it to bear that this is something that's inherent in who we are as people. We're supposed to be able to do this. Connecting into, let's call it the cosmos, for lack of a better term. But you can connect and start channeling this energy through you. Everyone has this ability. I think it's an evolutionary trait that we're getting back in touch with. I, I, I think that it was always there, but we're getting in touch with it because we're asking the right questions now. And because we're asking those questions, doors are opening and allowing, we're allowing ourselves to look a little bit farther beyond the, uh, the boundaries that were set in place by 
organized religion and models of society that inhibited this kind of activity. Now, we're free to take a look just a little bit farther down and, and examine what there is to see there and, and try for ourselves. I taught a class, a series of classes. I have them online at jerrywills.com. In these three classes, there were 25 or 30 people there. I've forgotten how many right now, and it's not important, but there were at least 25 or 30. The first class was how to sense and see energy. Everybody could do it, including the camera people who were there shooting us from Fox TV. Second class, how to see energy. I mean, people talk about seeing the aura. It's kind of figurative and a bit of, of obscure for most people to really get their mind around. But in this class, everyone saw energy, absolutely, and even the camera people. The third was how to take what you've just learned and move objects by focusing your energy on them. Everybody was able to do that. This is be peculiar to me to be able to do this because I've been able to do it my entire life, but I don't think that it is uh, a thing missing from other people. Yeah. Well, there's different types of healing. There's healing with psychokinesis. There's a biokinesis, which is the, uh, the ability to heal uh, energy healing and things of that nature. So these are things that have been out there for a long time that people have discussed. And it, it just, it's always one of those things where you got to wonder, is it uh, something that was given by a higher power? Is it more of the human evolution where, you know, we're getting the ability to use more and more of our brain function, which is allowing us more and more uh, ability to, to get in touch with different things. So, yeah, there's just so many options out there. But go ahead, Jim. Well, I think the, the final answer to this is going to be uh, discoveries made in quantum physics. And it's very simply called the observer effect. Okay. And what you focus on and believe you're going to see will see because the universe reorganizes itself in relation to the amount of energy put into the observation gotcha okay. the belief structure all right let's go to tiffany in new jersey tiffany or excuse me courtney in new jersey welcome to beyond reality radio thanks guys um i'm a first time caller um and i have a question for all of you gentlemen actually um a question and a quick story okay um i am actually an individual who is totally blind um and i know that uh jason um on ghost hunters you guys actually did an investigation i think in canada um of a uh gentleman's uh workplace who was totally blind um and i know he had spoken about being able to uh feel more um Spirits much more easily, much more intensely. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, uh, but for myself, I was just kind of wondering, like, do you guys feel that that's something that can be the case? Because I know for me, um, I've heard a lot of, I guess, auditory communication um, a lot more easily, I think. So I'm just wondering how you guys feel on that first question. Well, well right off, I, like, I've got a friend who's legally blind as well. And I will tell you that because they've lost that sense, their other senses are so much more uh, capable than than mine or, or anybody else who still has the vision of sight. Uh, their other senses have just become that much more uh, incredible. Uh, my friend will be standing there and uh, he'll be talking about 
uh, somebody coming, somebody coming in or whatever, and some something I could never hear. And sure enough, somebody comes in, um, or you know, there's just telling me that there's an animal running through the front yard, and sure enough, there is. So his abilities are far more, uh, far more advanced than mine when it comes down to that. And I believe that also opens them up to being able to feel more. Um, whether it's energy from from spirit activity or, or something of that nature, uh, what would you say, Jerry? Oh, I completely agree. I've, I've a few friends over the years who were completely blind, and their their sensitivities were just profound. And you know, in a couple of instances, both of them could hear the we'll call them ghosts, spirits, whatever, but they they could hear this and they could talk for them. And I, I found it incredibly fascinating because, of course, I could see them and I could hear them. So it wasn't like he was making it up. I, I That kind of cross-validation was really good for me because I never really thought about it. But, you know, this, this certainly did prove a point to me. I think, Courtney, you wanted to share a story with us as well. Is that right? Oh, yes, if that's all right. Yeah, we'd um, love to hear it, sure. Okay. So it actually goes along uh, with my question um, before the break. Um, But growing up, both of the houses that I lived in (laughs) were near cemeteries, just my luck. Um, But the second house that we had lived in um, was right near a Native American and slave um, burial ground. Um, And I did feel quite often a lot of presences kind of passing through, some negative, some positive, but I never felt like I was truly alone um, in that house. But one particular incident, and this is this is where my question comes in um, to all of you gentlemen. Uh, one day, um, I was sitting in my room, actually watching an episode of Ghost Hunters, ironically, um, and I could have sworn I heard my mom come in the door. Um, and the alarm beeped like it normally would if you open a door or a window. My dogs barked and everything. And I called out to my mom, and I said, Mom, is that you? I heard back the response, yes. And then I said, oh, you're home. I heard back again the response, yes. But I didn't hear her coming up the staircase. Now, I could have sworn that was my mom's voice. Well, I felt like something was really not right. So I called my mom on her cell phone, and I said, Mom, did you just come inside? And she said, no, I didn't. So, well, where are you? Figuring maybe I heard her voice, you know, from the street or something. She said, I haven't even left work yet. And she worked like 50 miles away from where we lived. And um, it was pretty terrifying. So I'm just wondering, could that have been possibly a negative or some kind of demonic presence mimicking my mom's voice? It could, it could have been. It very possibly could have been just an intelligent spirit uh, passing through for whatever reason as well. Um, yeah, it's tough to say without being there. Um, Other than responding in what you felt was your mother's voice, voice Courtney, was did, did anything else happen? Did... Did something fall off a shelf, a, a picture come off the wall, a door slam, anything else that would give you the indication there was some anger involved? Um, yes, actually. Um, I heard one of my dogs, um, actually he was my seeing-eye dog at the time, growling, which was very, very abnormal for him to have done that. Um, but he also pretty much like almost laid on top of me, like a protective kind of kind of situation. And not only that, but... The electricity went out. So, 
Yes, so, my, so my episode of uh, Ghost Hunters that I was watching was unfortunately interrupted. <laughs> um, but that was pretty freaky. I mean, like I said, he was my guide dog, so they're trained not to right. um, not to have growling reactions, and they're really very well-bred and very sweet animals. So that was extremely unusual. And I mean, the hairs on the back of his neck were standing up high. Mm. Jerry, mm. Jerry, what do you think? Gosh, I don't know. That's a fascinating story. I just don't have a clue. But but nothing's, ha- nothing's happened since, right? Like that? I'm sorry? Nothing. Uh, no, nothing's happened like that since? Um, fortunately, I no longer live in that house because, like I said, it was a really, really odd place. I, I got married and moved to New Jersey, and now the house that I live in is actually a purely positive environment, which is the first time that's happened to me in all the places I've lived. Well, yeah, please keep, keep us in the loop if that ever happens to you again because that's something that... Really, to make some sort of a judgment call, it'd have to be there uh, and tr- and trying to see if we were able to document anything. But just know that we're always here for you. Great. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, hon. Yes, thank you, Courtney, for the call, the, sharing the story, and thank you for listening. Jerry, you also teach courses on, and I'm trying to remember the exact name as well, my, my hesitation, um, but uh, Mechanics of Consciousness. Or you, you give a lecture or a class. Yeah, gonna, what is that? What's that about? Well, that was uh, actually a course that I taught, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years ago. Um, It was a six-month course with uh, the final course being taught in the Amazon jungle with Shaman. It was pretty successful for the duration of time that I taught it, but it just took so long. And there were only, out of, you know, hundreds of people that took the course, there were probably five that actually took it into uh, a practice into their lives where they actually were using it in their business and in their day-to-day life. Most people taught uh, or treated it as a, a kind of a gee whiz. It's kind of a fascinating thing to learn all this, but didn't do anything with it. So I stopped teaching it. Instead, I changed uh, gears on that, and I started teaching the Gateway courses which were the ones I told you about just a few minutes ago, a little while ago, which was uh, more pointed towards having experience in the class instead of having philosophy and uh, and knowledge imparted. It was having the knowledge and an experience within the class environment. So you walked away with every class having had some profound realization at the end of the class. And those have been much more successful. Uh, and I teach those periodically too. Is we're we're really so busy with all the things that we do and the places that we go that it's hard to set aside time to um, to teach classes, but maybe once or twice a year. Going back to the healing, do you have a sense of of what the conditions have to be for you to be successful? Is there anything specific that you need from your? I don't know if I should call them a patient or your subject or your you know, whatever, whatever term you would use for the person that you're trying to help. Um, do they have to be a believer in something? Do they have to have some kind of connection? Is there anything that you need them to be for your healing process to be able to work on them? No, not really. I've had people who thought it was a bunch of hooey uh, and then get angry when it worked. <laughs> uh, I've had doctors that, uh, well, I'll tell you that story for me here. It's, it's a very quick one. The guy had, um, had bone spurs on both ankle or both both heels of his feet. He couldn't walk. Multiple bone spurs, and he's going to have to retire. Well, his wife convinced him to let me do it, and so he said, "Then you know, work anyway." So 
I did it. I worked on him. And when I got done, he's stomping his feet around the floor and just really, really upset because now he can't retire. He's going to get a disability retirement. Yeah, so you ruined his plans. <laughs> I inadvertently, I suppose. Yeah. I, you know, I, I thought he wanted my help. <laughs> um, but I've worked on people, you know, children, you know, the only thing that children believe is that mother is God. Right. You know, that's what children believe. And they don't know who I am or what I do. And I've worked on a lot of children and there's a lot of children doing quite well today because I did. Um, I worked on people who were in comas. One of the first stories that Fox had about me was because they couldn't believe what happened. The guy was going to be unplugged. He was in a coma, had been in a coma had part of his skull removed and pipes coming out of his head. And it was, just, uh, I've never seen such a thing in my life. And so I worked on him. He was supposed to be unplugged the next morning. They brought me in as a last, uh, last thing to try. I mean, the guy and his wife and two kids and here he is laying there in a coma and not expected they're going to unplug him the next morning. So I worked on him and he woke up. Another guy, uh, Kelly, Kelly Osaka, there's videos about all this as well. Fox TV did videos about these that are on my website in the video testimonial section. Um, Kelly was beaten the head with a shovel. They didn't tell me that they didn't expect him to live another two or three hours. So I went in and worked on it. I told his wife, uh, he'll wake up in the morning and have a bad headache. He's going to be fine. I can't fix his eye. Well, I mean, she was pretty shocked and... Everybody thought that I was nuts for saying it, but he woke up the next morning with all the hemorrhaging in his brain stopped. <clears throat> they couldn't find part of the problems they'd seen before. The only thing that didn't make it was his eye. His eye never was right again. Mm. Uh, this is this is a big guy from Tonga. If you watch the show, you'll see it. It's a hell of a story. So, you know, they don't have to believe. They don't have to be awake. It doesn't matter. Right. What matters is whether I believe or not. Right. That's what makes the difference. Okay. Yeah, it's, your, it's your faith in the ability. I mean, it's not really faith. It's Faith is uh, in the face of a lack of knowing, and for me it's a knowing. The, yeah. You either approach this with absolute confidence or it doesn't work. Where can people find out more about your services, what you do, and um, maybe where to see you or, or take a course or um, figure out uh, what, you, what you've what you got going on? Sure. Well, there's a variety of ways. Uh, if they want to get a hold of me, they can go to jerrywills.com. Uh, that's a good way of doing it. The, uh, the courses that I talked about, there are three two-hour video courses there. They're cheap, like 12 bucks or something. I did it intentionally so everyone could afford it. Uh, you just find them, uh, look under the Gateway series or something like that. You'll find them pretty easy if you look around through there. If they want to uh, contact me for help with any of their health issues, that information is there as well. So just uh, take a look. You'll see where it says uh, schedule your session. You can do it that way. You can also read more about me there. If you're interested in uh, Lost Cities and the adventure into things, you can go to expeditions.tv, and that's expeditions where the word starts with an X, not an E-X. So it's X-P-E-D-I-T-I-O-N-S dot TV. And if you like rock and roll and other good music, go to jeffbirdproject.com. 
That's Jeff B-Y-R-D, like Admiral Bird, jeffbirdprojects.com. That's great, Jerry. Thanks so much for being a guest. We appreciate having you on Beyond Reality Radio. Hope to have you back again sometime. And, Jay, let's go right to the phone lines. We've had some people waiting uh, for quite a long time. This Absolutely. Is, yeah, this is Terry. Terry, welcome to uh, Beyond Reality Radio. Sorry for the wait. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, you have a question? Yes, I do. And this is my third time calling, and <laughs> I was kidding around on the chat room because you told me not to listen to my voice, and I did, and I sat on the drunk every single time, and I didn't. Was not drunk. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a horrible thing to listen to your voice. But anyway, oh, my stop. question for you is: You go hunting for ghosts with your equipment and stuff. Have you ever had a person that lost? You know, that had a friend or family member that has passed away, and they wanted to get a message to them and try to contact them with some of your equipment that you use to hunt ghosts absolutely we have absolutely and uh, you know we recommend different things if somebody's trying to uh, connect with a a lost family member that they believe might still be at the at the location of the house um, a lot of times well we recommend setting up uh, devices at night while they're while they're sleeping whether it be a you can set up two digital recorders you can ask uh, record yourself asking questions with one and have the other one recording uh, and just any other sound so one you you start playing the one that has your questions on it after you go to bed and let the other one record as it's picking up everything so it might be able to get answers for you so there's a okay. lot of different a lot of different ways like that for somebody to try to communicate with with a loved one yeah and um I just was scared, too, because, you know, I I want an EVP recorder and all that stuff, and I wanted to do it, but I've also been warned, you know, once you open the door bad things can come through too so well you're not but you're not opening a door hun you what you're doing is just trying to communicate with with a possible family member that that you believe is there it's not like you're sitting there allowing something to use you uh, or use your psyche to communicate you're not using a, a Ouija board in in again allowing something to use your psyche to communicate back and forth you're not opening any doors you're just trying I'm to not, make con- okay. you, no you're just trying to make contact with something that's there it's not like you're sitting there throwing out spells or or anything of that nature so i mean nothing paranormal has ever happened he's not here and the reason i want to contact him is i have a message for him because we fought the 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 last time i saw him alive we were arguing and a week later he was in a horrible car crash and it broke his neck Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but one thing let me say then: uh, if you don't think he's there, then just be a little cautious because you you, you're, you don't want to sit there and try to channel out to the entire and to the entire world because then you you are trying to open a door door so this right. person can come through and communicate. It's a little different than if you if you believe somebody might be still there at at that location and you're trying to communicate with them. So right. That was, yeah, that was my worry, because I don't want to invite anything into my house, because I have a daughter and a husband, and, you know. Yeah, well, you know, but you can always just set up recorders, ask questions, and, you know, if it's a loved one, 
might be just passing through or checking on you and you you stand you stand a higher chance to uh to be able to catch him at that point or you know be able to make some sort of communication so i do recommend that grab a couple recorders record questions on one play it through the night and have another one that's just recording uh, the blank sound and see what you get for answers okay and what about a ghost box have what what are your feelings on that I have very little faith in them, I'll be honest with you. I, I own a couple of them, and it's just very mixed readings on it. You're welcome to get one and try it, but I just just remember that they're just scanning uh, radio frequencies. So, right. you know, um, yeah, you, you can try it. Each person's got to figure out what piece of uh, equipment works for them. But I just, yeah. I, have very, I have very little faith in them. So, okay. Right. So, so does that and help? And I wanted to also thank you because this is my third time calling in. Last week I called in when you had the out-of-body person, and I called in about my friend that died. Mm-hmm. And you all helped me immensely. I mean, when I heard his response, I just bawled. I cried so hard, and it was such oh. a relief. His I'm just, advice, you know, I'm, and what he I'm told just happy. Me. I'm just happy that too. we could help you. And I I'm wanted happy. to thank you so much. Well, no, I'm just happy we could help you and thank you, on and uh, keep on listening. I, oh, I will. I listen every single night I can. <laughs> oh, you're well, awesome. Thank you very much for the Thanks, call, Terry. Son. Let's go to Donna, uh, my neighbor just down the road. Donna, sorry for the wait. Welcome to Be On Reality Radio. Oh, you remembered my name. That's awesome. <laughs> I promise I will speak slower this time. Now, I know it says you had a question f- You had a question for the speaker, but uh, we don't have the speaker, so hopefully uh, either Jason and I can help you yeah, out. Don't speak too slow. You only got two minutes. So. <laughs> no, no. I, last time you were making your teeth. I know. I I'm kidding. So I'm, I'm kidding. So, um, and in response to what Terry had just said on her call, I um, have been... I guess I, I guess I'm a, considered a sensitive, and what I've always been taught is our loved ones you always hear us if we're speaking to them, regardless of you know whether we're, we go to their grave site or where we are, that they can hear us. So that I don't know you know what her thoughts are on that, but that might help her, um, and I believe that. And you know, my mom has passed, and still miss her terribly, and I I do that all the time if I'm having you know bad day or whatever or. Just need to say, miss you, mom. Love you. You know, I do, and I think that she hears me, and she's pops in and out, and whatever. Um, and I get have had dreams before, where you know, visitation dreams and so forth. So, um, yeah, I think that that stuff can happen. Sure. Now, I had a question for you, Jason. As sure. far as um, I know, you're also a firm believer that children are more susceptible to experiencing things than. Um, or not necessarily more so than adults, but, you know, they're more open to it than adults can be. Um, What are your thoughts on, like, a kid who hears, constantly is thinking that they're hearing their name being called? And then, you know, they go to check with that person, and that person says, no, I didn't call you. Um, And sometimes they are or not may not be thinking about that person. Um, So, you know, there may not be that connection or whatever, but they just constantly think, you know, once or twice a day or whatever, yeah. that someone's calling their name. Well, honestly, children are more prone to see things than adults. Uh, to a child, anything's possible. And, you know, a big fat guy brings a, ba- a bag full of uh, gifts down a chimney every Christmas, and a big bunny brings him a basket. So they're more open. They're they're able to see things that we are not. Um, so as for a child hearing their name being called, very possibly they could be hearing uh, some sort of entity calling their name, and it just might have the same cadence as a family member 
or somebody else, so they might assume that it's that person when it's really not. So the possibility is there, and uh, and I'm a firm believer that children are going to pick up something uh, a lot easier than we than we do. So, but thanks for the call, hon. I know we're running out of time. Yeah, so. thanks for the call, Donna. We got to let you go because we're at the end of the program. Thanks for listening. It's Beyond Reality Paranormal. We'll see you next time.